millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to TalkSport's Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Alex Crook and West Ham and England legend, Dean Ashton, who's with us celebrating the Europa Conference League finalists getting through to Prague. And coming up, we'll talk about Newcastle, just a win away from the Champions League now after thumping Brighton 4-1. And Manchester City could secure another Premier League title this weekend after dismantling Real Madrid in midweek. What a performance that is. Just how good are Pep's side and where they rank in the best we've ever seen. And at the bottom, it's do or die for Leeds United and Leicester. Both could go down this weekend. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Crookie, good morning to you. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Game of Podcast. Crookie is uh, resplendent in his Manchester United uh, 1958 shirt. Is that right? Is that right? It is. Yep. Flowers of Manchester. Only because we're not in vision, but you've given the game away now. Oh, okay. We only ever wear Manchester United clothing. There was a point, Dean. Uh, we've been friends <laughs> for 20 Twenty something years now, right? And there was uh, there was a point when uh, Crook would turn up to every social occasion in an item of Manchester United clothing. There was, there was something. It would be a jacket, a top. It would be a t-shirt. It would be a pair of shorts. Something. He would be wearing some some <laughs> memorabilia or or paraphernalia from from his football club, and it's quite sometimes quite sad, especially if you're going to a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a, the same tie as Fergie at one stage. Yeah, so he's not wrong. <laughs> so sad. Um, um, look, but let's, let's talk about brighter matters because Dean Ashton, you must be buzzing after West Ham's uh, victory last night away at RZ into a major European final. Gen- generally, probably a poor season in the Premier League, not what they were expecting. I think they were 4-1 to one at one stage to be in the top six um, before a ball was kicked. But... Getting into the Europa Conference League final probably puts a gloss on it, doesn't it? Oh, just a bit, yeah. I mean, book the flights, pack your bags. You know, it's it's a, it's going to be very very special um, for the for the West Ham supporters and the players and the staff because you know I don't think they should allow any of the sort of um, dampness on the competition to get in the way of what is. You know, the opportunity to win silverware for a club that hasn't for a very, very long time, not since 1980 have they won any silverware and a lot longer since they got into a European final. So they've got to enjoy it. You know, for me, they're, they're going to be safe um, in the Premier League and what an opportunity it is for all of those players and David Moyes in particular to uh, to win a European competition. And, and they deserve it because in that competition especially, they have been... They've been outstanding. They have. Uh, they play um, Fiorentina in the final, which on paper, you look at the table, Serie A table, they're eighth in the in the table, but they've had a really good end to the season. They've been scoring a lot of goals. They scored three last night away at Basel. They scored five at home to Sampdoria the other week, although Sampdoria are in a, a bit of trouble. I think they're in the bottom of the table, going to be relegated quite easily in Serie A. Uh, they lost narrowly, just very narrowly, to Napoli the other Sunday. So they're going to be a force to be reckoned with, but it's going to be a great occasion. And we're very much looking forward to it, Dean, aren't we? Because um, we obviously, we're going, we're doing this finally, right? Okay, so Dean and I were texting really late into the night last night, just just every now and again, just dropping a little check flag in um, to symbolise that we're going to Prague with West Ham United, uh, which is a great way to end the season, I think, Crook. You're going off to, to West Ham Ball to do Manchester City uh, to see if they can win the treble, because you're you're just you're just Manchester, aren't you? You just you just ooze Manchester. 
Um, uh, are you looking forward to that? <laughs> Something like that. Um, but do you know what? It's going to be a great occasion for you guys. It's going to be a great occasion for West Ham. I, I guess, and this has been touched upon, the tragedy of it is that there's only going to be, what, 4,000 West Ham fans inside oh, the stadium? And I do think you're for a situation here. that is, yeah. I mean, you know, they the, picked a really small stadium, haven't they? And they want this competition to be taken seriously. West Ham, to their credit, have taken it seriously all the way along. You know, their fans have, have flooded places like Amsterdam in midweek, even without tickets. You know, they basically turned it into a mini East End. And I'm sure the Fiorentina fans will travel in their droves as well. But if they do want this conference league to be taken seriously, they need to take it seriously and book a proper venue that you can get as many supporters in as possible. Yeah, I imagine it's going to be a little bit like last year when did you, you went to the Rangers final, didn't you? We went to, um, mm. Dean and I went to Eintracht Frankfurt. It was crackers, you know, and up at Ibrox was just the same. It was, uh, it was, it was brilliant. Um, the, 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 when the fans really get behind it, these big groups of fans that aren't used to going to finals get behind it. It becomes a, a whole swell of people in a city. It takes over, becomes a good occasion. Looking forward to that. Uh, talking of good occasions and fans taking over, Newcastle United's fans were brilliant last night, as they have been all season, and they reveled in their 4-1 victory over Brighton. Dean, I know you were co- probably concentrating on the West Ham uh, game, but th- th- first of all, the overall context is that Newcastle are now one win away from reaching the Champions League. And, and that is a major triumph, isn't it? From a from a club that no one expected to get into the Champions League. I, I went back and looked at what the bookmakers' odds were coming into the season, especially after the first few games where they'd drawn and dropped a lot of points. Ultimately, no one expected top four. That uh, not not outside the Newcastle bubble, anyway. No, and I think that's that's why it would you know it'll be if they get there a, a massive achievement. And also, they've not just been given it. I know that. You know, certain teams have had poor seasons, but Liverpool are coming strong towards the end of the season. Brighton have been pushing um, as well, um, and Tottenham were up there for quite a long time. So it's not—it's not just been given to them, and, and they could have easily sort of fell away after the disappointment of the Carabao Cup final, but they haven't. He's rallied the team. They've kept going. They've put in some outstanding performances, and also, I think. You could see that defensively he got things right earlier in the season, but knew that offensively they needed to be better. That's improved. They're scoring lots of goals. They're looking dangerous. Whenever he changes the team, it seems to be like the players that come in. Um, there's no real drop-off. You know, There's so many positives at Newcastle from what Eddie Howe's done with those players. Um, and to culminate in a Champions League spot, I think... You know, he'd have to be up there with with you know manager of the season for that for that achievement. Um, I thought they were particularly impressive. They pressed really high from the front, right from the very off, and they and they knew that Brighton weren't going to sacrifice their principles. And as a result of that, they smothered Brighton. You know, they pinned both the full backs uh, back. Caicedo had a terrible time at right back. They played back four last night at Brighton. Esther Pinyan couldn't escape on the other side. The central defender, Jean-Paul Van Hecker, who has only just come in for, to the team because of the injury to Adam Webster. And that's another big problem for Brighton. They've had a lot of injuries um, over the last couple of weeks. And the, 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 the truth is, is that they weren't up to, to dealing with that level of pressure. And they kept playing out from the back, kept playing out from the back when they were being rushed by Newcastle United. In the end, it, it, it was their downfall. And you could just, you were counting off the minutes before Newcastle were going to score. Um Roberto De Zerbi also seems to have fallen out with Robert Sanchez as well, Alex. Is it, there are a few things in, in, in Roberto De Zerbi's makeup which means that he's still a step away or so from being that top manager that's going to take on a top four club. Has he still got some things to work on? I think, I think in terms of falling out with players, I mean, my understanding is there was a, a reasonably amicable conversation between him and Rob Sanchez, but Sanchez said, I don't want to sit on the bench, which I'm not sure is a, a smart move for him. Clearly, no. he's looking for a move this summer, but I'm not sure that's going to help his cause when it comes to Deserby and when it comes to Tony Bloom. Because you've got to say, the decision to, to stick Jason Steele in as number one has worked well. You know, and even in conceding yeah. four goals last night, I don't really think you can blame the goalkeeper. I think he's, he's oh, a great he was character. Terrific. He, he probably yeah. stopped it from being six or seven. He was, he was, he was, he made a couple of brilliant saves, including one from his Alexander Izak, which was, was terrific. And one from, I think it was from Almiron at point blank range, which was, was, was superb. Yeah, so I don't think Sanchez can have too many complaints. Obviously, there was the the Trossard situation earlier in the season when he was trying to force a move and, and he wasn't training with the first team. I think the same obviously happened with Moises Caicedo when he was sent home. And I think actually De Zerbi dealt with that situation well. Tactically, 
I think he still has to learn a little bit because you're right. I'm all for having principles, but I think sometimes you need to be willing to sacrifice those principles. And it sounds like this is one of those games where maybe De Zerbi needed a plan B. But I think the big issue is squad depth. And again, this comes down a little bit to De Zerbi because they could have played this Newcastle game a lot earlier in the season than I they did. I was going to ask you about this, actually, because yeah. he complained to me last night that he felt as if there were too many games. It was a gruelling schedule and it's taken its toll on the squad. And I thought, well, hold on a second. It wasn't this your idea. Yeah. He wanted a sort of mini tournament feel to the end of their season. You know, they've got this game against Manchester City rearranged next midweek. They had the United game to rearrange, which obviously worked out in their favour with that ridiculous Luke Shaw handball that I'm still seething about. But I think it has caught up with them, you know, playing, not just playing so many games, but playing so many big games against good teams, Newcastle, United, City. They're not easy fixtures. So I wonder with hindsight, should they have found a gap earlier in the schedule so that it wasn't, quite as congested at the end of the season. Having said that, they're still in a brilliant position to qualify for Europe, so we should yes. take nothing away from them. And it, basically, they've got it in their own hands because they've got Aston Villa on the final day of the season. So even if it's just getting into a Conference League place, which maybe is not what they want, they want a Europa League place, but even if they do um, only end up with a Conference League place, which would be a brilliant achievement for a team that's never been in European competition before, it's in their own hands because all they've got to do is just keep Villa at arm's length on the final day. Of the season. Okay, let's get stuck into this weekend's action. Manchester City could secure a fifth Premier League title in six years. They take on Chelsea this Sunday. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, Everton in deep, deep trouble at the bottom end of the Premier League. They are running out of time. When the road you're trudging seems all uphill. They are booze of disgruntled East Midlanders. Leicester City Football Club suffering a fifth consecutive defeat. When care is pressing you down a bit. Klopp's chances of going into the top four have been crushed by the Cherries. Bournemouth 1, Liverpool 0. Rest, if you must, but don't you quit. That is fantastic. It's a brilliant strike from Trent Alexander-Arnold and they are putting pressure on Manchester United and Newcastle. Life is strange with its twists and turns. And it's now Advantage City. It's finished at the Emirates. Arsenal 1, Manchester City 3. They have won a lot of games in the last uh, few months, that's for sure. As every one of us sometimes learns. This is huge. Madison against Pickford. He steps up, right-footed. It's saved by Pickford. It was a dreadful penalty. Don't give up. Though the pace seems slow, you might succeed with another blow. He won you! He's got two! Taylor Iwanyi for Nottingham Forest! Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of clouds and doubt. Congratulations to Gary O'Neill. Bournemouth are guaranteed to be a Premier League club next season. Finished here, Bournemouth 4, Leeds 1. Ashford from distance. Oh, what a stunner. And you never can tell how close you are. Newcastle United lead by a goal to nil. And this place can smell the Champions League. It may be near when it seems afar. Manchester City, the treble is on. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. James Madison delivers for the Foxes, maybe just in the nick of time. In the last kick of the game, it is the most extraordinary climax you can ever wish to see. And the pendulum has swung in the Premier League relegation battle in the most dramatic of fashion. It's when things seem worst that you mustn't quit. Manchester City will win their fifth Premier League title in six seasons if any of the following scenarios play out. Arsenal lose on Saturday to Nottingham Forest, not beyond the realms of possibility. Manchester City win versus Chelsea on Sunday. Manchester City draw and Arsenal draw. Um, So there's three different routes to it. I think there is a possibility of Arsenal dropping points and we'll talk about that when we do that game in just a second. But... Manchester City have been absolutely brilliant. And anybody who saw the game on Wednesday night, I think I texted one of my mates saying, this is a seminal performance, Dean. They were terrific. They were, it, was, it, was, it was at a higher level than I've ever seen them play. And that's saying something. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I watched it with my two sons um, and I was trying to say to them, this is the best football or certainly half of football I've ever witnessed. I just thought it was ridiculous it's, this this wasn't against a, a you know a, a minnow this was against real madrid in the champions league semi-final and they've got 
you know, multiple world-class players. And Manchester, I couldn't believe how tired the Real Madrid players looked after about 25 minutes. They were completely gone in terms of their their legs and their concentration because of just the relentless nature and the quality that City showed in terms of playing through, playing out from the back, the rotation of positions. And I was trying to say to my to my lads, like, this is this is special. You know, really watch it and enjoy it because this is a, an outrageous performance that I certainly had never never witnessed. And you know, it was never in doubt. From from about fifteen minutes in, you could just see they were gonna, they were gonna win the game comfortably, and you just can't see them losing a game. Sorry, Cookie, but you just, if they're able to put that level of performance in against any side, no, nobody's gonna be able to cope with that. No, um, and I think well, I sort of mentioned it beforehand. This season is one of those seasons where you want either one of two outcomes to happen: you want Arsenal to win the league because the story arc is so good, or you want City to win the treble because they no, don't. At the same time, you, you do, Crook. I think you know. No, you put put your put, <laughs> take your red shirt off and just think about it from a from a journalistic point of view. It's a, it's a great story for them to win the treble, isn't it? I mean, because actually they've sort of normalised doubles so much that if they just win the double or if they just win like you know one trophy, it's it's just normal. That's what happens. But if they win all three, it gives us a real good sort of barometer to which to measure them against all the other great teams in in the Premier League era, doesn't it? Well, where do you stand on this? Because there have been a couple of quite um, provocative pieces I've seen, um, particularly I think Miguel Delaney writing in one of the broadsheets, suggesting that actually this is very bad, not just for English football, but for European football as well, that you've got basically a state-backed club who are in danger of absolutely just rolling everybody they face over. You know, Real Madrid to lose 4-0, the biggest defeat, I think, in their European history. And they, they were never in the game, Real Madrid. So is this going to be the status quo now? Are City just going to batter all before them? And does it actually does it actually slant the competitive nature that we all want from our football? Now, that's not me speaking as a Manchester United fan. I'm checking out there. I thought it was an interesting piece that Miguel wrote. Where do you guys stand on that? Is, is this the start of Manchester City European domination? Or is it... Just one of those one-off oh, seasons. On, we on, know on, they're a brilliant on, side, on. but everything has just come together. Hold on. You know they haven't won it yet, right? They, they're going to beat Inter Milan. They haven't won it yet. It's, it's, it, this is, what date are we on? We're like, this is the 19th of May. The, the final's not till June. You know, calm down. Let's just, we'll talk about the European dominance when they've won a European, they've never won a European trophy, have they? You're getting a little bit ahead of yourself. I think what you're, I think the point is that, I think it's worth pointing out about the the, the, the sort of the, the, the money piece that I saw Miguel Ryan. It's 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 quite we are quite capable of human beings of turning around and saying, look, this is a club that is funded by a state. And I don't think that many of us think that that's a comfortable situation to be in, right? But there are a lot of clubs that are bankrolled by a lot of money. You've still got to apply brilliant coaching techniques in order to get what we saw on Wednesday night. I think we're capable of separating the two things, saying that, you know, in terms of the way clubs are owned, and I think we're quite unhappy about the way Manchester United are owned, we're probably, you know, I, the Chelsea ownership is is basically an investment fund, let's be honest, but and they've come in and they've, they've put loads of money in at this moment in time. That's not going to last forever. They're not doing it. These guys are businessmen. They're, they're doing it for a reason. They're not, they're not doing it because they just fancy throwing away 600, 700 million quid and billions after billions in terms of ownership shares. There's, there's a reason for that. But football is a business. But we can, we can, we can moan about that and, and yearn for the good old days when it was owned by a fan who, who lived around the corner who owned a, a car dealership. Those days are gone, sadly, but we can talk about that. But there is a separate side to it, which is the football side. And you have to appreciate that if they are going to be as dominant as they are, it's because... One, the money's been spent well, but two, the manager has managed to mould that group of players into a superb, slick, machine-like group that perform tasks in almost an automatic way to get the most beautiful level of football. And I think you can applaud that, Dean, can't you? Yeah, I think you can. I think there's not that many Manchester City signings that you could actually, hand on heart, say, well, I knew 
that that signing, even if they paid quite a lot of money for them, oh, that's the signing I thought. It's not like they've gone out and bought Kylian Mbappe. You know, they 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 haven't. Um, they didn't pay over the odds for for Haaland. Um, and I just think you're right. I think it, it does remind me of the Sir Alex Ferguson era of a manager that is capable of special things with a group of players and to elevate whichever players come into the come into the football club. And we have to really, you know, put that respect on Guardiola. It's him who's moulded this side. It's him who's, you know, turning John Stones from a centre-back into this yeah. now very versatile, incredibly comfortable-looking midfield player at times. You know, that's... That's Pep Guardiola. That's that's not John Stones taking it upon himself. And I think there's many, many different um, examples of that that he's that he's brought to that to that side, which is is very very special. And and actually, you know, if you, if you look at the signings, you're right that they're not a club who necessarily go and spend 100, 120 million pounds on one player. They did it with Jack Grealish. Obviously, they paid a lot of money for their their fullbacks back in the day. But you look at Julian Alvarez. For example, was he fifteen million pounds? Anybody basically in the Premier League could have bought Julian Alvarez. They didn't. We didn't know much about him when Manchester City signed him. Obviously, he got the fourth on uh, on uh, Tuesday night. What a signing he's been for Manchester City! What, Fifteen Premier League gold in his first season, playing second fiddle to Erling Haaland. That's not being backed by a state. That's that's just good scouting, good recruitment, and as you say, good coaching. And also, they, you know, don't get me wrong. You know, I think there, there, there's there's a discussion to be had about the ownership. There's definitely, you know, people will have you know, be up in arms about that. But you know, Manchester United fans are up in arms about their ownership. And yeah, you know, there was a point that, not so long ago, the Arsenal fans were up in arms about their ownership. And there's no reason why we can't delve deeper into that, look at it, and see how you know, things can be done better in the future, or whether we decide after looking at it desperately that actually there's nothing we can do about it, and the, the genie's already out of the bottle. But in terms of dominance, I do think that is a problem. And you go back to the late 70s, Europe got really irritated, you know, really irritated. And um, they, in the end, the, the mechanism to, 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 to stop the English dominance was, was, was our own downfall. We, we were masters of our own downfall by our behaviour on the European stage. So we, we ended up getting kicked out of Europe for six years because... And I remember this as a kid because of the the the, the, the terrible events at Heysel. Um Prior to that, remember Manchester, uh, Liverpool, and Nottingham Forest and Aston Villa had basically won every European Cup from 1976 onwards. I mean, it was complete and utter English dominance for nearly ten years, and it was almost too much to take. For, 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 the, for the European authorities. And that didn't really result in the ban. It was because, in the end, the, the, the behaviour of the fans meant that they, they had, to be, had to be stopped from travelling. But ultimately, you know, we are in danger in the Premier League. And I got in trouble for this last January, I think, when I suggested when they went nine points clear in January. I'm not sure it's a good thing for the Premier League if you know at the beginning of the season who's going to win the title every single year. And five wins in six seasons sort of suggests that you do, really, don't you? Yeah, but again, I got a bit of stick for saying on the boot room that I think this is bad for, for English football. We're in danger of becoming the new Bundesliga, the new Ligue 1. And my timeline was flooded with people saying, well, you weren't saying that when United were dominating under Sir Alex Ferguson. True. And it was similar domination, if you remember, in the 90s. There was that freak season when... Cantona kicked a fan and Blackburn stole the title. But apart from that, in the 90s, there was really only one club. Stole. They yeah. won the title. And actually, you yeah. handed it to stole, them. You? Stole it from our You handed it to them because you didn't turn up against West Ham on the final day of the campaign, if I remember rightly. Liverpool even tried I'm, to do I'm your favour. I'm not over it. I'm not over it. I know you got in trouble with Andy Cole. You ended up having to go Andy Cole about it on the, on the radio. And he rang up and started going mad. <laughs> he rang me and said to me, can you get me uh, Crookie's number, please? I need to give him a call. I was like, oh, no, what's he said now? Um, but it's true, you know, there, there have been teams that have been dominant in the past and it's the job of everybody else to try and break that dominance. I don't want to get into a situation where, you know, we, we know who wins the league every year. The best thing about the Premier League has been the title races over the last few years. But they are a good team and you've got to appreciate it. You do just have to appreciate it. Um, Dean, is there... Uh, is, is there anything else that we need to say about Manchester City? No, but it's it's Pep Guardiola. If Pep Guardiola walked out of Manchester City at the end of this season, then I don't think City do dominate 
I think it's, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, some of the best, man, if you're talking about Sir Alex Vogt, you're talking about, you're talking about the best of the best throughout football history and they don't come around that often. And right now, no. Pep Grolier is that, is that person. If he steps away, they're not, they're not going to be the same side. They're not going to be the dominant side that they are right now. And, and it's just Manchester City's time. Yeah, you're talking Shankly, Ferguson, Guardiola, aren't you? I mean, you're talking the very, very best, Busby, the best of the best of the best. And uh, and he certainly is up there. I mean, you know, Ancelotti, Ario Saki, Johan Cruyff, those managers as well hold a, a candle to, to Pep Guardiola. But uh, I mean, the, the terrific achievements in Spain and now the terrific achievements here, not so much maybe in Germany, although I think he's more appreciated than maybe we give him credit for there. Um, it's just it's a wonderful Wonderful um, stewardship of a club that has you know, had investment, but have also bought correctly, as Crook has already said. So City looks set to lift another Premier League title. They're going to be in the Champions League next season. But who is going to join them? Because this is the definition of squeaky bum time. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Oh, 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 live on TalkSport 2 this Saturday afternoon. It's Bournemouth against Manchester United. Now, Crook, now, Crook, would this be the worst scenario for you that Bournemouth are the ones that stop Manchester United going to the Champions League next year? <laughs> well, listen, it, it won't be Bournemouth that, who stop us because well, even well, if well, it might United be. lose... Even if United lose at the Vitality, if they win their last two home games, they're guaranteed Champions League football. But it might be. It's still very much in their own hands. Obviously, it's got a bit more nervous than we anticipated. But I actually think Aston Villa might do United a favour at Anfield. I can see Unai Emery's side going for Europe themselves, getting a point there. Don't want to rely on that. And I think this is a good time. You're relying on Unai Emery. Is that what you're doing? You're now now basically saying, we need sneakers. (laughs) After being in the uh, top we don't four, need snookers winning the trophy, we... the little ball genius, actually his tactic to get over the line in the Champions League, as you called him, the little ball genius, his tactic is, Unai, help me out, please. No, no, because I think United will get the job done themselves. I think they would at Bournemouth. I think it was a really important victory at home to Wolves last weekend. I thought they played well. Sabitz uh, being sidelined for the rest of the season is a blow. As you know, I've become a bit of a fanboy of his. I, I like his energy. They're going to miss Told that. Told you Hopefully he was going to be good. Rashford. Hopefully, Marcus Rashford will be fit. So, listen, if United can't win at Bournemouth when the top four is on the line, then they probably don't deserve Champions League football. Oh, dear, Dean. Um, what do you think is going to happen here, Dean? Because Newcastle are pretty much over the line now. They are. I think that game in hand for Manchester United is is going to end up being key. I think Crookie's right. I think that is a tough game for, for Liverpool. But Bournemouth are one of those sides that once you're safe, you're just not the same team you know you can just tell in their performance they're just not and I think that will play into Manchester United hands who will have Marcus Rashford back 
I think he's he's fit, he's training. I'm sure he'll start. Mm. He will make a huge difference. And I see that actually being quite comfortable for Manchester United. And with the two home games, they're so good at home. Um, you can then see see them um, trickling over the line. But they'll have deserved it. I think they've, you know, they have been very consistent, especially at home. Can I just say, by the way, the nominations for Premier League Manager of the Season are out. And listen, I'm not going to knock what Unai Emery has done, oh, but he wasn't there at the start of the season. Little ball genius how can Eric Ten Hag not oh, be on the shortlist? Marco Silva's on the shortlist. How, how, how on earth can, how can the LBG be on the shortlist if his tactic to get over the line in the, in, in the race for the top four is to rely on another one on those lists, Unai Emery? Nobody has said that that is going to be his tactic. But listen, this was a club that were in a mess. Two games into the season, they were in a mess. He realised after that Brentford debacle, they can't play the way I want to play. I'm going to have to tear it up here and start again. He did that. The reset started with that home game against Liverpool. I was there. Brilliant atmosphere. Brilliant performance. They've got one cup in the bag. First trophy in six years. They're in another cup final. Okay. Work cut out against Man City. They should qualify for the top four. Eric Ten Hag has to be on that list. Yeah, but Marco Silva, Marco Silva presided over a Fulham performance at Old Trafford in which three players got sent <laughs> off in, in about 40 seconds. So, you know, that's some achievement. <laughs> I mean, do you, do, am, I, am I speaking out of turn here? Do you understand why Ten Hag's not at least up for consideration? You're biased. Well, you, that's why I'm asking for an independent opinion. Dean, what do you think? Is it, should, should LBG be up there? I think it looks... It is a slight embarrassment if he goes and wins the FA Cup as well and is and are in the top four to not be in that list of nominations. Um, for Is it pointless anyway because Pep Guardiola is going to win it? Well, of course it is, but that's neither here nor there. I think Crookie's <laughs> point is when you look at the list, how can Ten Hag not be on that list with the achievements if they go on and win the FA Cup uh, as well? Okay, uh, that game is on uh, Saturday, TalkSport 2, 3pm. The takeover latest is that um, somebody else has come in. Uh, Sheikh bin Jassim has come in and he has walloped on yet another final bid. This time, still not worth the same amount as Jim Radcliffe, but please give it to me anyway. So what's happening, Crook? Well, without alienating a nation, I think the Qataris are embarrassing themselves a little bit with this. You know, if if you want the football club, and I keep being told, well, they're they're determined, they're not going to give up without a fight. Well, you know what it's going to cost you? You know, you're at least going to have to top Sir Jim Ratcliffe's offer. So just do it. Otherwise, just stop wasting people's time. I don't think the Rain Group have covered themselves in glory uh, for this either. We we know that actually in the end, the Qataris have gone straight to the Glazers direct and, and cut out the middlemen, which probably tells you all you need to know. The lack of transparency has been startling. We haven't heard from the Glazers or the Rain Group since November when it was first floated that the club would either be sold or there would be a refinancing option. So I think the whole process has been poor. The longer it drags on, the only people who win are the Glazers because inevitably they just keep driving the bids up with these two parties determined to outmuscle each other. And probably Joel and Avram don't want to go anywhere anyway. Why was he at the uh, Women's FA Cup final? If he's yes, selling the football I, club, that, I saw that, that. And he was having a wants great time as well. I was there and I saw him and I thought, oh, wow, he's turned up. So th- that means he he wants to be around. I think I, I think it's going to be Radcliffe and they're going to stick stick around for a couple of years. I would have thought. Um, Liverpool against uh, Aston Villa this weekend. Liverpool ending the season like a freight train. It's seven wins from seven. Only Manchester City and Arsenal have put together uh, runs of seven wins or more in the Premier League. They're doing it at just the right time to put a bit of pressure on the likes of Manchester United and Newcastle. Newcastle alleviated that pressure now. They only need three points to secure it. So it's only Manchester United to chase. And they've got two games to win Liverpool. And those games are Aston Villa at home, where they are absolutely superb. And then on the final day, they've got Southampton. Now, if they needed to overturn goal difference on the final day of the season, I think Southampton would be the perfect um, team to play against. Uh, so tell me, Dean, can Villa stop Liverpool from winning an eighth game in a row? And how do they do it? They can because Unai Emery is capable of putting a side together that can be really, really compact and difficult to break down through the middle. They give you you know, a bit of room out wide. Um, but at the moment, that's not really where Liverpool... Um, strength is coming from because of the change of roles for Trent Alexander-Arnold. But what I think has happened with that change of role, I know we're looking at all the attacking threat that he's been able to bring and um, 
and the goals that they're scoring, but actually it's helped them defensively because it's just given them an extra player further up the pitch. It means they can get further up the pitch and press with more players higher up the pitch. And that has in turn... They turn the ball over more yes, often. Yes, exactly. Up, up the like they used to. Um, mm. Maybe not in the same intensity, but because of the number of players that are there. I think that's really helped them. Obviously, three clean sheets in their last three, which before that you certainly wouldn't have, have foreseen. So I just think that change of role has been so important with players coming back as well from injury, which I think we forget how many players were injured for, for a certain amount of time. And and I think Emery can make it difficult, but I just don't see them stopping Liverpool, not Anfield. I think Curtis Jones has been really important for them and not just because he scored two goals on Monday night. I actually think that since he's come back into the team nine games ago, there's been a, an increase in, in the way that um, Liverpool turn the ball over further up the pitch. They pass the ball better. He's very good at that. He takes the ball in tight areas. He's got a lot of energy. Legs that were missing in that midfield area, he provides them. Obviously, with the trench switch as well, the almost experimentation that they decided to do um, to go to the end of the season by doing this new role for Trent Alexander-Arnold because they thought, well, we're going to need to do something with him and we're going to need to, to, to try and find a way of being better next season. And that all seems to have come together at kind of the right time. As a result of that, they've put all these wins on the board. But ultimately, they have to win this game. If they don't win this game, and they usually do at Anfield, let's be honest, it's not very often that they, they don't turn up at Anfield, then uh, the, the, the top four will be sorted before we even get to Monday evening. Crook? Yeah, you're right. But I'm looking at the league table. You know, eighth is not going to be enough for Villa in terms of Europe. So with Tottenham are at home to Brentford with no Ivan Tony. You'd expect Spurs to win that. I think Villa need to get something from this game. And you mentioned the clean sheets. It's been a kind May so far for Liverpool, isn't it? Leicester, who are dreadful. Brentford, who are on the beach. Fulham, who are on the beach. Those are the clean sheets. If you if you dive a little deeper, and maybe this is me trying to make myself feel better, it they is. conceded three at home to Spurs. Mm. Um, they had to come from behind, I think, to beat West Ham. Yeah. They, they conceded twice at home to Forest, uh, mm. twice at home to Arsenal. So I still don't think this is the, the Liverpool machine that we've seen in previous seasons. And I think Villa... Uh, with Europe very much on their mind, I think they'll get a point. There you go. I think it'll end in a draw. Okay. Um, but statistically, if you look at the uh, the underlying stats in the Liverpool um, sort of build-up, the possession, their expected goals, their chances created, all of that has gone through the roof in the last couple of weeks. And even though yeah, some of those look victories... Look they played. Hold on. Listen. Even some of those victories have been narrow. The ones at Fulham and Brentford have been narrow. And the performances haven't been perfect. Actually, they've been creating chances. I thought they were very good on Monday night, but they were up against absolutely zero opposition in Leicester City. A rabble. So maybe you will be right. Maybe. You never know. It could, it could, it could be that Villa save your ass. Um, and, and you, you know, you're right about the, the conference league place. They need to finish seventh. But you dismissed Brentford there, didn't you? Right, which is our next game, 12.30, Spurs against Brentford, live on TalkSport. Brentford have won three of their last four games. Yeah, but they've lost Ivan Tony now, and I, I know you said that they're on picked... the bench. They didn't have they didn't have Ivan Tony last week either. But they've picked up a couple of good wins without Tony. Um, they were in, excellent in against West Ham. Pointed out to me, they beat, I think they uh, they beat Liverpool. Did they without Tony? I was told. Um, unless uh, unless I'm wrong on that front, I'm sure I got a message. That was back in that was um, January, wasn't it? Yeah, when they when they yeah. basically just kept putting set piece after set piece underneath the goalkeeper, and uh, the defense crumbled like. Uh, a little sandcastle in a very big storm. But you've got to think this Tony situation is going to have an impact. And uh, again, t- Tottenham under Ryan Mason, clearly they're not the finished article, but they're a lot better than they were under Stellini. And at oh, home oh, with oh, Harry oh, Kane. Hold on, hold on. One win in six. Yeah, but they, they, they're playing better than they were St- under Stellini. Statistics can be manipulated, can't they? It's interesting. You gave us all these stats earlier on, and we've sort of, we sort of thrust a few back down your throat there. Dean, what do you think will happen on Saturday lunchtime? He thinks Spurs will win as well. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think Spurs have improved that much. I thought they were dreadful in the first half, especially against against Aston Villa. Um, I quite fancy Brentford to get a result. I know Tony's missing, but um, they are a difficult side to play Brentford. I, fa- I probably fancy a draw, to be honest, in this game. I just think Tottenham have just not got that spark that you need at all. I think the players see it and sense it. 
and they just as much as they probably want to try they just cannot get into any sort of intensity or rhythm or enjoyment and that's the problem when was the last time you saw a smile on a Tottenham player's face you just you just don't yeah it's a it's a pretty melancholy place to visit um I'm really looking forward to going there on Saturday actually um it'd be interesting to see what happens with Tottenham Hotspur in the summer because the managerial situation is getting not better but worse because after Nagelsmann dropped out now Jabby Alonso has made it clear that he's not going to take the job so the the the, the numbers are sort of dwindling in terms of those who are sticking their hand up saying give it to me give it to me give it to me why is that do you think Dean um I think because of the mess behind the scenes and the uncertainty with Harry Kane. If I'm a manager looking at that, at that, uh, at that side, then I'm thinking, well, without Kane, what have I, what have I really got? And also, when you see, you know, managers of the caliber of Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte go in and struggle as much as they, they have done, I think that gives you alarm bells as a as a, um, an ambitious manager that wants to go in somewhere and make a real difference and put your stamp on, on the side. Can you, can you really feel as if you could do that if you're going in as Tottenham manager? From the outside, anyway, that, that's how it feels. It doesn't feel like necessarily it would be um, you that would be able to, to implement those changes. So, Crook, is it going to be Feyenoord boss Arna who's going to fill that slot? See what I did there? Oh, very good. I like what you did there. Um, well, listen, Daniel Levy likes him. Uh, I'm told they're fascinated by him, in fact. Um, and I was listening to Marcel <laughs> van der Kran, Dutch football expert on TalkSport. He was making comparisons between the football he plays and that of Pep Guardiola. So certainly it would uh, it would appease the Spurs fans who are fed up with negative managers like Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho. The issue they've got, A, they haven't got a sporting director. And I think that certainly is, is putting a lot of candidates off. They want to know who they're going to be reporting to and who they're going to be working under. But also, Arna Slot's release clause doesn't kick in until the end of next season. So if they want Arna Slot, it's going to cost them a few quid. And I think Final would actually turn down quite a hefty compensation offer from Leeds when they were looking for a replacement for Jesse Marsh. So again, this is not going to be an easy deal to do. I still keep looking at the likes of Brendan Rodgers and Graham Potter that would be more straightforward because they're both free agents and they're both managers that Daniel Levy has admired in the past. Okay. Um, just a quick word on Ivan Tony. Um, I don't understand why the ban that he has been given is in months and not games, Dean, because I know that, I mean, maybe there's something on the statute book and I don't know, I haven't looked into it, but in my head, I was listening to the debate on White and Jordan on Thursday, and I was listening to a lot of people say, you know, there's there's a lot of dead time during this this ban, so it's not going to hit him as hard as many people think. And you know, maybe it is that actually the sanction is probably five months from the from the FA, and they wanted to 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 to, to impose that from the start of next season, but instead they have to give him eight months so that it gets to that point before it really starts. If you get what I mean, he can't play till January. But why don't they just do games? I don't I don't understand. Why don't you just do 30 games or whatever it is. And then there's no sort of argument of any sort of dead time. It's just a, a number of matches that a player has to miss. I, I, I never really understand that. No, I think the timing feels odd as well. I mean, again, we're not sure on on how that works out, whether it's just, you know, there's a process that has to be, that has to be um, gone through to get to this point where you then give, give a player a ban. I'm not too sure, but it feels strange that it's sort of two games before the end of the season, you hate that thought of the integrity of of the of the league because of the timing of it and games still to be played for for Brentford that could have a an effect on on other things. That's not I, really the FA's no, fault, no, is it? I mean, not, at the end of the day, yeah, that's it, his it, fault it, for betting. Just, it feels messy. The whole thing feels messy. I think there's a yeah. real sort of split in terms of you know what people think of the length of the ban. You know, talk of Ivan Tony himself and and what should really happen, um, but I guess ultimately, if you break the rules, then you can't really argue with whatever punishment, whichever punishment you're given, and it's a really, really harsh lesson for both Ivan Tony and Brentford, um, and you know, a, a, a sort of a decision really has to be made for Brentford as to how they go forward with this and 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 help it. 
it is harsh crook in terms of the length of the ban, but it is made clear to footballers everywhere that they cannot bet on football matches. That is that is very, very clear to everybody who plays the game, even people who are involved in the game. Like, you know, you can't, if you're a football affiliated football administrator, if you're an agent, you cannot bet on football. That is, they're the rules and it is very it's very arbitrary. There's no, there's no grey area. It's not like you can bet on this certain game, but you can't bet on that one. You cannot bet on football, even if it is Hibernian reserves against Heart of Midlodian reserves in a preseason friendly. You, you cannot bet on football. That is, they, they are the rules. Yeah, and actually, it's not even just high-profile people in football. A friend of mine is um, hospitality manager at a Premier League club, and even he's yeah. not allowed to bet no. on football. So uh, it's a brilliant point you make, and I've seen some quite sanctimonious pieces and tweets um, slamming the betting industry. And, you know, they take enough of a kick in the betting industry. Apparently, it's not Ivan Tony's fault because there's betting adverts on the radio, there's betting adverts on television, there's betting adverts on the hoardings around the, the grounds and on shirts. And that's why Ivan Tony has breached the rules. That is absolute nonsense. If Ivan Tony has got a gambling problem, then I hope he's going to get the help that he needs. But don't use this as another stick to beat the bookmakers with. It's absolute nonsense. Okay, let's look ahead at the battle at the bottom of the Premier League now, where it's do or die for Leeds and Leicester, both of whom could be relegated this weekend. Okay, Leeds, Leicester, Everton, Nottingham Forest and West Ham, the only teams in mathematical danger of being relegated from the Premier League. Two spots to fill. West Ham really not so much, actually, because although mathematically you can sort of, if you're really creative, make a case from going down, the goal swing would have to be huge. Um, so it's not going to happen. Leicester will be relegated if they lose at Newcastle and Everton beat Wolves on Saturday. Wow. Um, Leeds will be relegated if they lose at West Ham on Sunday. Nottingham Forest avoid defeat against Arsenal and Everton beat Wolves on Saturday. All these things could actually happen. West Ham will guarantee safety from the drop if they avoid defeat at home to Leeds on Saturday. They're already guaranteed a place in the Premier League next season. Nottingham Forest will be safe from the drop if they beat Arsenal and Everton and Leeds fail to win on Saturday. So, what happens here? Because Wolves, Everton, Forest, Arsenal, they take place before West Ham take on Leeds United on the Sunday. And Newcastle, Leicester is on Monday night. Are Leicester in a bit of an issue here? Dean Smith was very, very vocal about this, Dean Ashton. He said it's out of order that they're being played to made, made to play last again. Uh, I get his point. I think it does make a difference, has to make a difference men- mentally. I think it's a, it's the big opportunity for Everton and Nottingham Forest to uh, to play first, to put that pressure on, to send them down and keep themselves safe. The one thing I would say is though I I've been quite sad watching Leicester. I have because they look like a team that never really expected to be in this position and have absolutely no idea how to act in a relegation battle. Nope. At least with I can see Exactly. At least I can see with the other sides that urgency of the position that they're in. But I watch Leicester and I just think, I know there's the odd player that is still there from the time that they survived. And But I look around so many of the players and think, you've got no idea what position you're in. You've got no idea what the consequences are going to be without getting a result. And that's just, to me, it's staggering that I watch that team and see that. Well, it's interesting because there were. I think we'll go back to the tweet that James Madison sent out when they lost. I think in March, and they were. He was really upset that the local reporter, who is uh, is it Rob Tanner, who's is very well known in the Leicester area, was on the Leicester Mercury for years and years, and now works at the Athletic, sent a tweet out saying basically the recipe for relegation is all here. You know. That they don't look like a team that are going to get that many points. And he retweeted it and said, this is rubbish. Watch the game, report on the facts, keep playing like that. We'll be okay. Created loads of chances or something to that ilk. Hmm. And he, he, he sort of gave the impression that he couldn't see the precariousness of their situation. If you look at the bottom of the table on that day, 
they were in the bottom three, right? Or very close to it. They were heading towards a relegation battle. And he was almost debunking the theory that they would be down there scrapping away. And I think that sort of speaks volumes. They didn't realise they were going to be in it. They didn't think that they were going to get caught like this. They thought they had enough. They are the best team in that bottom three. They're the best team by a mile in terms of the calibre of players, in terms of the quality that they've got, in terms of the talent that they've got. But they're not a team. They are not a team. And it's very, very similar to the situation. I mean, actually, it's arguably worse than the West Ham situation because the West Ham situation, when they got 42 points, had all that talent in the team, had better talent, but also had a lot more points. This is a team that is not only, not only too good to go down, but are actually going to go down. They ain't going to get anywhere near survival. No, and they, they may even go down before they kick a ball yeah. um, because, you know, w- Wolves are safe. Last home game of the season makes it difficult for Everton, but you could see a scenario where Everton win there. I can certainly see a scenario where Leeds win at West Ham. West Ham, euphoric after what happened in midweek, but clearly with eyes on that European final. If if both those results happen, Leicester are down. It doesn't matter what they do at Newcastle. They can't mathematically survive. I was at the game after which Madison put that tweet. It was against Southampton. They did create chances. They missed them. Didn't have a single shot on target in the match. Um, because they kept hitting the woodwork. But I actually tweeted myself, for the first time, I think Leicester are banging trouble. I always thought before that game they'd have too much quality. I saw a, a disjointed team. I saw a team lacking in character, lacking in fight. And there's just too many players there. You know, Yuri Tillemans has been allowed to run down his contract. He's checked out. You look at his performance against Liverpool. He's non-existent. Jamie Vardy, his legs have gone. Sadly, I'm not even sure that he'll get goals in the championship next season. Johnny Evans, at the age of 35, gets that was rolled a bit out. Unfair, and injured I thought for most of the season. First yeah, exactly. Since November. And also, and again, you'll give me stick for this because you okay. think I'm anti Dean Smith. I'm not. You are. But I did describe it as a job for a desperate man when he took that job, and I just couldn't see the Dean Smith that fouled so spectacularly at Norwich. Why would he be the man to keep Leicester in the Premier League? And I think Dean said the same on this podcast. He said he did it with Aston Villa before, so maybe they were clutching at that. But the biggest problem is, is that the owners have not have taken their eye off the ball. You know, they've they've they've, they've sacked Brendan Rodgers, they've allowed Brendan Rodgers to go, and they've got absolutely no plan about who to replace him with. Which again is startling because we all knew that they were struggling, and we all could all see that there was a massive, massive issue there. And that they were going to eventually have to sack the manager. So if we all could see that that was going to happen and the Leicester fans were calling for Rodgers to be out for such a long time, surely you'd get a plan in place, right, Dean? Yeah, you'd think when you're running a, a multi-million you know, pound business that you know relegation changes everything for these for these football clubs. And you know it would, it would almost be ironic if Big Sam and Sean Dyche survive and, and you know Dean Smith takes takes Leicester City Leicester City down because you're right I think Dean Smith although I um, certainly appreciated the job that he did at Aston Villa I thought he was superb when it comes to I think even his confidence levels I just even when he went in at Leicester I just didn't see it I didn't see a man that looked like he in himself he needs a break he needs a break he he, he jumped from Aston Villa straight into yeah. Norwich. From Norwich, what was it? Only a couple of weeks before he jumped back in to uh, to Leicester City. He needs a, a sort of a period out of the game, reflecting, getting, trying to get it right again, get his head straight because he's undoubtedly got talent. It's a great point, a great point, and I just think you can just see he's desperately trying in himself to be positive, and it's just it's just not there. And I've just I just find it. Having been in many relegation battles myself, I just find it staggering to watch a side that just don't get it. Uh, Positive news uh, for Everton is that Calvert-Lewin, who looks like he will feature after coming off against Manchester City, seems to be fit. Now, who would have thought that was going to happen? I mean... Lazarus. That's amazing. That's amazing. I remember Mickey Gray, when I said to him at halftime in that game on Sunday, I was on the Sunday session, I said to him, he wouldn't have done this tactically because he realises this game is gone, would he? And he went, no, that's a big call. You couldn't do that. He he did. Um, (laughs) Forrest against Arsenal. Is it the perfect time uh, for Forrest to be facing Arsenal, do you think, Crook? Uh, Forrest going to get the points that they require to stay up now? Potentially. 
Um, although when Arsenal have faced adversity this season, they've more often than not bounced back. They've yeah, been up this, this week with it, you know, Ramsdale's new contract. Beach, well done to him. Thoroughly deserved. I love you, Aaron. Um, <laughs> um, will Forrest beat Arsenal? Not sure. Could they get a point? Possibly. And that point would be enough, wouldn't it? West Ham leads. Leeds fans, no doubt, happy that West Ham won on Thursday night. West Ham, big distraction of the European final. Um, do you think that's going to help or hinder Leeds United? Because this can work in two ways, can't it? They can get back to the London Stadium and the atmosphere will be terrific because they're going to get a send-off from their supporters ahead of um, the uh, the European final. Or they're going to be so knackered and thinking about that European final that they're, that they're just off the pace. What do we reckon, Dean? I think a lot will depend on Leeds and what performance they're able to muster and the manner of the performance, uh, how he sees about playing against West Ham. But you can't underestimate, I don't think, forget the physical side of it. Think about the mental, emotional side with everything that went on, the scenes after the game for the players to then come back. Um, you know, beers were had in the dressing room. I'm sure a few more were because of what is a, an amazing achievement. Um, of course, you know, David Moyes will have them in, they'll prepare properly, but I think it's the emotional side of it that can take its toll. Um, and this is, this is such a huge opportunity because there will be changes. You know, it will be a weaker side for West Ham. There's no doubt about that. And what an opportunity this could be for Leeds and, and Big Sam to get a result to really give themselves a chance then at home in the final game of the season against against Tottenham. Yeah, um, I wonder if Bamford will start. His, his penalty miss looked like... A... A player really sapped of any confidence, really. And I sort of mentioned that as he went up to address the ball. Um, I spoke to Big Sam afterwards and uh, he, he was sort of a bit sort of, I can't, I cannot believe how many individual mistakes we made. I said to him, um, he actually said to me, he said, what did, what did you think? And I said, well, individual errors cost you. And he went, I just don't understand. I spent all week saying to them, don't dive in, don't dive in, stay on your feet, stay on your feet. He said, no, all they did was dive in. It was ridiculous. I mean, Junior Firpo, Big Sam's a big fan of Dancing on Ice, by the way, right? Junior Firpo would do a cracking job on that show. <laughs> Maybe we'll be commentating him in the next series. Who knows? He might be a better ice skater than he's a footballer, to be honest. Wouldn't be that difficult, would it? Crikey. I mean, he I mean, he basically single-handedly cost them... I mean, him and Bamford between them cost them points on, on the weekend. And Newcastle didn't really even turn up properly for that game. And, and somehow they got a draw out of it because they could have won it, actually, if Christensen's effort hadn't been deflected in at the end. But crikey, I mean, what was he doing? It was crazy. The handball was crazy. The first, he, could have, he could have been sent off twice, to be honest with you. Let's be clear. I mean, he was, he was an absolute liability during that game. Um, Monday night, Newcastle against Leicester. Win or bust for Leicester. They ain't going to win at Newcastle. They are going to go down. It is going to be confirmed on Monday. So join us at six o'clock for game night, live from St. James's Park. This will happen. Newcastle will win really well. Leicester will be battered, bruised and relegated. That's all going to happen in one night. It's only on Talk Sport. That's uh, Monday night. On Saturday, we've got Tottenham against Brentford, 12.30. Uh, then we're around the grounds with Game Day Live. Danny Mills, Trevor Sinclair, Alvin Martin with Adrian Durham. Um, they've got uh, the playoff game as well uh, in League Two. Bournemouth against Manchester United is at three o'clock on TalkSport 2. And on Sunday, we're around the grounds in the Sunday session from the Etihad Stadium, where Manchester City take on Chelsea to win the title. Uh, so we'll be there for that one. And uh, you invited my show for that as well. You're going to do the trophy lift on my show. And I'll, I'll take half an hour off because we know how long a Manchester City trophy lift takes. I thought you were going to say we know how long you go on for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that as well. It's, it's a bad combination. I might just go home at half past six. <laughs> <laughs> me and Manchester City uh, yeah this is your worst nightmare crook why don't you just get a kebab and just spread it across the studio that's what you usually do um, Dean thank you very much pleasure Dean make sure you get uh, some of those uh, check uh, I think it's, it's what is it check what check Czech's, it's not Zlotis is it that's Poland we need to find Krona. out check Krona that's it you know you've been on a stag dude uh, check Krona uh, we'll get some of those, Dino. Yeah? Yeah. We're going to Prague. Love it. Love yeah. it. And Pilsner. 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 Love it. Um, Crook, see you later. Bye-bye.
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.